Hello, this is Amanda Weathersby on behalf of 100 Entrepreneurs Foundation. For six years, we've been interviewing hundreds of entrepreneurs so they can share their business information, ideas, insights, and inspiration with veterans and their family members as they examine future opportunities. I interviewed Ryan Salbach, who worked with the NFL, the Cleveland Browns, and ultimately opened the Huxley, a high-end nightclub and event venue in Washington, D.C., this is just the first of the businesses Selbach Entertainment Group is slated to open. Please join us as Ryan tells us his lessons learned. At the NFL League Office uh, headquarters in New York and spent a year working for them. And then I worked uh, for my hometown team, Cleveland Browns, for four years. And I was a uh, player contract negotiator and uh, salary cap manager um, for a total of five years before then um, getting my MBA from Harvard Business School. Great. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> a lot of work in there. Uh, and so tell us about your experience with finance. What did you, you did several of those jobs. So what did you think about it? I just, I wasn't, um, passionate about the, I think, the core products or the um, core job function, um, the product being um, uh, facilitating the sales of various companies or um, debt management or raising debt, uh, you know, loans um, would be the layman's term for debt um, for companies, uh, you know, working with high net worth individuals about uh, how they're managing their portfolio investments. Um, I guess... I was just not passionate at all about those core products, and the job function itself um, was mainly behind a computer, uh, analyzing numbers on Excel spreadsheets. It, it wasn't as um, customer-focused, or for me personally, it wasn't as tangible as um, you know other other products and and job functions. So um, I, I was just not. Um, passionate about the industry as a whole, and, and so I, I was very thankful that I worked every summer during college because I was able to figure that out uh, about not entering the finance field. Um, you know, prior to then, you know, say working in a full time capacity for for a year for a few years out of college in that field, I was able to figure that out um, during college just through summer internships. Great, great. Uh, so what made you decide to own and build a business? You were working for the NFL, isn't that everyone's dream? Yeah, so um, in the NFL, I, I really enjoyed working it um, for a couple years, and um, just because I was very interested and passionate about the core product. I mean, who's not passionate about you know professional football and you know watching these you know very gifted athletes um, compete very hard, you know, every uh, every Sunday, um, striving for um, NFL Super Bowl ring. Um, so I was passionate about the product. Um, but the various job functions um, available in professional sports, I ended up not being passionate about. Um, in in professional sports, there's kind of a big um, divide overall between the people who work in evaluating the players or coaching the players and, and putting the product on the field uh, versus um, the people who work more on the business side. So, um, you know, selling season tickets or marketing uh, corporate sponsorships. Um, and I want to do, I want to have a role in professional sports that um, basically was 
more of a jack of all trades and, and kind of manage all different departments. And unfortunately, in professional sports, you don't really get that option um, until you're, you know, very high level executive. You know, probably not unless you're like the chief operating officer or you know team president or team owner. And um, I thought that was going to be. Um, you know, decades away from me being able to do um, all these various job functions, and I didn't want to wait that long. And so that kind of led me to entrepreneurship, where um, you can build a business from the ground up, and you have your hands, you know, in every facet you know, of the business. That's great. And so you decided to become an entrepreneur, and what did you do? How did you become one? <laughs> it's one thing to say I'd like to be one; it's another uh, to start a business. So. Um, I did want to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't exactly sure in what industry I wanted to work in, um, so I made the decision that I would I would basically figure out what industry I want to work in um, once I was in um, business school, getting my MBA because in in business school. Uh, it's a very collaborative effort that you have with your classmates about everyone you're trying to figure out what is the best career path for them uh, when they graduate. Um, and the schools put a lot of resources into helping you kind of figure out what that career path is. I mean, they set you up with professional career coaches. Uh, they bring in, um, you know, world leaders of business uh, for speaker series on, on campus, information sessions, and whatnot. So there's a lot of options in business school, a lot of uh, availability in business school to kind of figure out what career you want to have, what industry you want to work in. So my plan was to go to business school and kind of figure it all out there. Um, fortunately, um, actually prior to entering business school during the business school application process, um, which you know, oftentimes the applications for business school for these top MBA programs, you have to write you know, five or six essays, which you know, force you to think deeply about what you're naturally passionate about and what you're naturally good at. And so in the process of writing my business school applications, I actually kind of had a come-to-Jesus moment where I realized that you know, I wanted to be a business owner. I wanted to work in a creative field. Um, I wanted to uh, work in an industry that made people happy and um, you know, provided just uh, some day-to-day happiness for folks. Um, and was very also uh, management-focused, uh, whether you're managing your customers, managing your staff, um, and, you know, ultimately I wanted to also work in a you know, high-profile industry. I enjoyed working in professional sports and getting to meet, you know, a very large amount of interesting people from all different industries um, and ultimately, you know, then having an interesting life and hopefully then to be able to have you know, interesting stories for my kids and, and grandkids one day. Um, so I thought that, you know, given all these different interests of what I wanted to do, that uh, work, working in high-end hospitality would be a, a great field for me. Um, and it just kind of hit me one day. I had never worked in hospitality. I'd never been a waiter. I'd never been a busboy or a bartender. Um, but I thought, you know what? I think I know what I want to do. I told my parents, and there's no reason to go to business school. I, I know what path I want to be on. And they said, well, Ryan, you know, you've never worked in hospitality. Hospitality is a, you know, very risky industry. You should still go business school, get your MBA and, um, you know, hedge your bets a little bit. So I went, um, to business school, I was fortunate to get into a few schools and decided to go to Harvard Business School for my MBA. And from the moment I got into Harvard, uh, everything I did from the first day of school uh, was geared towards learning as much about how to run a small company and, and grow it and um, learning about uh, entrepreneurship and then ultimately hospitality. So um, a lot of people come to business school um, you know, not knowing what they want to do. Other, other people come to school with an idea of what they want to do. Very few, I would say, come into business school with 
a very clear idea uh, and path they want to go on. And then, you know, after their program is up two years later, they're, they're still on that path. I was on the only people, I think, um, in my 900-person class who, from the moment he got into school, had an idea of what we wanted to do, and he, and he stuck to it for his entire time in business school. Now, you know, four years out of business school is, is still doing that. So um, I, I just think I'm the type of person that when I have an idea, you know, I've thought about it deeply. I, I kind of know in the back of my head whether I think it's going to work or not. And, and uh, you know, I'm very, I'll be very bullish on that idea. And then um, uh, that allows me to, you know, not get scared off. It allows me to, you know, persevere through um, towards that, you know, long-term vision of what I want uh, my career and what I want life, you know, to look like. Great, great. So you knew what you wanted to do and – you did you start a business before you had any experience in the industry, or did you go get industry experience? Uh, that's a great question. So you know, I mentioned earlier I had no prior experience in the hospitality field, so I knew that to learn the industry and to ultimately have my own business in the industry, I'd have to get um, good work experience. So during my summer breaks from business school, uh, I worked for what is probably the most prominent. Uh, privately held nightclub and restaurant company in the U.S. Um, that's the Tao Group. They have about 18 uh, restaurants and nightclubs uh, in New York City and in Las Vegas. Um, they have, I think, four of the five top uh, highest grossing nightclubs and restaurants in the whole world. Um, they're really the, the best um, of the industry in, in many, many facets. So I... Uh, Contacted um, that group of people uh, through connections, through high, sc- high school friends and, and business school connections, and um, expressed them that I wanted to work for them for my summer breaks. They had never had an intern before. They had never had someone working on their MBA. Um, you know, come and join the team. They told me no about you know five or six times. This was this when I was reaching out to them just to provide some context. This was during the um, early winter of the second half of the winter of two thousand nine. Uh, through the spring of 2009, we were in the middle of um, a huge financial crisis uh, in the country and then also globally. And so this company had had actually decreased uh, management salaries. They had been on a hiring freeze for a three or four month period. They told me, no, 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 we can't bring you on. And I just kept on asking them. And then eventually I beat them down and they said yes. <laughs> and uh, um, really gave me the keys to the castle in, in terms of um, learning from all the different owners of the business and, and their top management team all the way down to um, their busboys and uh, their cocktail waitresses and security guards. So um, they, they really did do a fantastic job of um, putting me in a position to learn all the different facets of the company. And after working for them for uh, two different uh, summers, I felt that I had learned enough about the industry to start my own business. So when I got back to school uh, for my last semester of business school, I I wrote a business plan for a high-end uh, nightclub establishment in Washington, D.C., uh, which I now uh, own and operate with my business partner. That's great. Now, how did you decide on Washington, D.C.? Um, I, uh, while in business school, I had an overall theory that instead of focusing on the most well-known nightlife and hospitality markets in the country, such as New York, Miami, Las Vegas, and uh, Los Angeles, I would focus on what I call second-tier um, nightlife and hospitality markets. So markets um, that are still you know, top 20 cities in terms of population, um, but are not uh, as well-known for hospitality as those aforementioned uh, four markets. Um, so... Uh, I studied the demographic data of cities like Boston, Atlanta, 
Houston, Dallas, um, San Francisco, you know, Washington, D.C., and, and ultimately it was very attracted to Washington um, because at the time it was the seventh largest um, city in the country in terms of uh, greater Washington, fourth in per capita income. Um, they had five professional uh, sports teams in the city. Um, it was a very well-educated city and a uh, very international city. So I thought um, the customers in this market would understand and appreciate high-end nightlife. And then I, I came down um, to Washington a couple different times to study the market while I was in business school, and I felt that there was a, a hole for a high-end New York City type of nightclub product. And so um, uh, that's how I chose this city. That's great. All right. So um, in a very short time, you've decided to add a business. Is that correct? Um, yeah. You mean our, our second business? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, so we, we launched Huxley with a lot of success. Um, we launched on November 15th, uh, 2012. And so we're coming up on our two-year anniversary this weekend, which I'm really excited about. And um, soon after launching that business, after about six months of, of running, that, of running our, our first business, we started looking into um, uh, our second venue in the city. And you know, a lot of these projects, you know, they're real brick-and-mortar businesses. This is the polar opposite of, say, having a, a tech startup or an online-based company that you could start out of your basement and all you need is a power cord, your laptop, and you know, a Wi-Fi connection. Um, so they are brick-and-mortar businesses, so you need to be really careful about you know, where you actually want to house your business, what part of the city, um, what the actual space looks like in terms of the, the, the natural bones of the building. Um, you have to think in depth, of course, about the core product you want to offer, and then you need to figure out how to launch it. And you need to um, find investors to uh, fund the project. Um, you need to find a team to operate it. Um, you need to find a landlord who wants to ha uh, have you as a tenant. So the, the, the reason I bring up all of these different components is that these are, you know, long lead projects. I mean, you can't, I, I, I can't wake up tomorrow and say I want to have a Mexican restaurant and then expect 48 hours from today it's going to be open. So um, they oftentimes take, you know, a year plus uh, to actually get open from the time you have the idea. So um, we started speculating on, on real estate in the summer of 2013, found a space that we really liked um, in, a, in a fantastic neighborhood. Uh, in a really interesting building. Um, the, the owner of the building was actually in the process of selling it, so we started uh, entering in uh, negotiations with the potential buyer about um, what our lease agreement would look like, mm -hmm. and uh, their nego sale negotiation took a while longer than anyone had imagined, so we ended up not being able to sign the lease to control the space until um, this past summer. So it took us about a full year just to get the lease signed, um, and we plan to open up um, in the summer of 2015. Uh, so that's a, like a two-year-long you know, process to get our second business open um, because we really – we're really high on the building itself, the, the bones of it, and the, um, the neighborhoods. And hopefully our next businesses won't take quite that long. They'll take you know, about a year apiece to, to get up and running. Um, but uh, basically the, the, the short answer uh, to your question would be that you know, we, we did have success very quickly at the Huxley. And um, you know, my business partner and I have very large plans to have a much um, you know, grander company than we have now and with a lot of different properties that we're owning and operating. So um, you know, we, want to, we want to expand uh, as quickly as possible. That's great. Wonderful. Um, so the Huxley, back to the Huxley for a moment here, 
uh, did you sound very confident, and I and I imagine that there's nothing that's going to hold you back. <laughs> um, but uh, tell me, did you always have that confidence uh, going into the Huxley when you first opened your first business? Did you always feel sure it was going to be a great success? Uh, I, I did. Yes, I you know I, I wholeheartedly believe that we were offering a product in um, you know Washington that was not here in the market. And I thought that we um, could build out a really beautiful venue and hire the best staff and operate it, you know, more effectively than our competitors. And um, I, I think we have absolutely done that. And I think, in general, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're going to have moments where you have doubts um, about various things, and you could have doubts about your core business idea. You could have doubts about your staff. You could have doubts about the you know, overall market for the product that you've created, but. You know, hopefully your um, your positive thoughts about the overall opportunity drastically outweigh any doubts. I mean, if any entrepreneur tell you has no doubts, um, that would be incorrect. But um, I would say you know you want that ratio to be you know maybe ninety eight percent you know very positive and bullish on your idea, and maybe only two percent or less um, you know having doubts. If you have more doubts than that, I think you you have either picked the wrong profession or you picked the wrong um, product to open. So great. Okay. Um, so how did you find uh, funding for the Huxley, and then now you're uh, presumably finding funding for your second business? So how um, did you do that? So we actually used our networks um, to find our, our funding uh, originally, and a lot of our people invested were friends and family or people that we had just networked with professionally um, over the years. And, uh, you know, it takes a long time uh, to raise that type of money. I mean, we raised $1.75 million um, for the Huxley. And um, even if someone's you know, really close to you and they believe in you, um, if you pitch them an idea, they're not going to write you a check, you know, on the spot. I mean, it's a lot of um, kind of follow-up and, and Q&A uh, sessions and oftentimes for investors, um, their money might be tied up in other investments um, so it takes time for them to you know, liquidate some assets, and um, it, you know it's definitely it's definitely a process. So I mean, we, we really looked at fundraising as uh, almost like a second you know full time job, just from getting the venture up and running, um, because you really just have to pound the pavement and, and stay on people um, uh, until they until they uh, give you their money. So <laughs> good. So how long did it take for the Hexley, for example, to to get funded? I, I think it was about um, about nine months. Nine took. months. Great. Yeah. Great. So who have been the most important people in your business in terms of helping you be successful? And how did you find those people? Um, that's a good question. Uh, my business partner had a lot of experience working in the industry. He had never been an owner-operator, but he was the top nightclub marketer and promoter of nightclubs in Washington, D.C. for the prior 10 years before we partnered. And I thought I had gotten a great education um, from working for the town owners in Las Vegas. So we actually didn't ask that many people uh, for advice, um, quite honestly. Um, you know, I, I, I really wanted to do something apart from the owners that I worked for and, and really wanted to blaze my own trail. So I didn't lean on them really much at all for advice once I left their company. Um, some of their upper, upper management uh, I'm extremely close with um, still to this day. And so I did ask them for some advice along the way. But um, for the most part, I think my business partner, Eric, and I, I mean, we really thought that we had already known a ton about the industry and we just wanted to go and, and do something on our own. That's great. 
So how do you generate customers? Um, we do that a lot of ways. Uh, we do it through direct marketing where we're contacting customers via cell phone, email, or text message. Um, we do it through our our, our Facebook page, um, which is very dynamic. We have a ton of pictures on our Facebook page. We have a ton of videos. We have really neat graphics. Um, we have flyers for all of our weekly parties. Um, and then on our website, um, we, we spend a lot of money on, on search and, and optimization on our website and also in terms of running Google ads. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Google and type up DC nightclub or, or type in DC pride event space, you know, there's a good chance that we're going to pop up in your search. Um, and, uh, you know, we also try to create a lot of buzz for the venue. Uh, we, um, work with celebrity hosts, work with celebrity DJs. Um, we've had some big time pride event clients, uh, very well known organizations and companies. Uh, so a lot of, um, events we do are press worthy. And so local publications and sometimes national publications, um, will write about the, the happenings at the Huxley and, um, you know, that's ultimately ends up being, you know, free marketing for us or free PR because if someone is reading all these publications and sees our nightclub listed, that's going to hopefully increase the chances that then they'll want to come here, you know, as a patron of ours. That's great. Now, you mentioned that the nightclub is both a nightclub and an event space. Can you explain that? Sure. The nightclub business is only open on Friday and Saturday nights for a very short period of time. So we open at 10 p.m. and then we close at 3 a.m. And the rest of the week, uh, we have a very thriving private event business where uh, we're holding corporate, private, and special events for companies, for nonprofits, um, for academic entities, um, such clients we've had in the past. There are parties at the Huxley. We've had HBO. We've had GQ Magazine. We've had Google. We've had Facebook. We've had Clear Channel. We've had um, uh, Cablevision. Uh, we've had YPO, which is the Young Presidents Organization. Uh, we've had the German national soccer team. Uh, you know, we, we have a very large uh, client list. And so um, most of those clients, um, you know, want to have some type of cocktail party usually. Sometimes they want something that's a little more dynamic or they can you know, have a DJ be playing and they're dancing. Um, oftentimes these, these customers want some type of food component. So we actually don't have a, we don't have an on-site um, full-fledged kitchen at the Huxley. So we do all outsourced catering for all of our um, private event customers who want a food component. And, you know, it's nice to be utilizing the space. Um, during the, the hours where it's you know otherwise not being used because we have a, a very beautiful venue, a really nice um, design, and uh, it's great to get you know uh, customers in here on the you know non-traditional um, you know nightclub times. So sure, and I imagine that one type of customer begets the other type of customer. Um, it, it there there's some synergies there. So um, you know we have some very big. Uh, nightclub patrons who are business owners, and you know when they when it comes time, so when they want to throw their company holiday party or the company they own, you know they want to go um, have it at a venue um, run by operators they're very comfortable with and um, you know confident in um, housing a great event for them. And then also um, for corporate by event clients, you know they come here and they see. You know, a really nice sound system and DJ booth and, and dance floor, and they might just be having a, a cocktail party um, on a you know Tuesday from six to eight p.m. But they might say to us, 
hey guys, this place looks really nice and really fun. You know, I'd love to come back here on a Saturday night when you guys are packed and it's it's a really high energy environment. So there there are some there are some nice synergies. That's great. That's great. So how fast is it growing? Is it at capacity? Can it grow further? This is the Huxley, of course, because the new one isn't started. But right, I think with issue with with nightclubs, nightclubs, uh, unlike let's say a restaurant, for example, um, or just uh, most other businesses in different industries, nightclubs generally, if they're launched well, are extremely busy um, from the get-go. And as an operator, your biggest task is to try to maintain that level of excitement and busyness as long as possible. So I, I do not see the Huxley growing, really, um, uh, to be honest, because um, that's just not what happens with nightclubs for the most part. Um, they might grow in year two, a little bit from year one, but after that, um, you're really just trying to you know maintain that consistent level of performance, and so that's what we work you know really hard on is coming up with you know creative events, theme parties, celebrity uh, hosting opportunities, celebrity DJs, um, just trying to get our clients to come back as many times as possible, and always feel like they're experiencing something new at the venue. Great, good. Now the next um, area is uh, you, you were worked in finance and you certainly understand the importance of finance uh, in a business. Uh, tell me how you deal with it in your business. Do you manage the financial piece of it or how do you, how do you handle it? We actually, um, we have a uh, accounting firm and a bookkeeping firm that does all of our bookkeeping and accounting. And so you know, that's, it's nice having a, a third party handle that for you because, um, of course, then to your investors, any other regulatory body, um, you know, accountants are CPAs. They're, they're licensed actually to, um, you know, legally say that, that your um, accounting measures and tactics and books, you know, are correct. And so they have that stamp of approval, um, especially in, you know, what can be sometimes, a, you know, a cash-heavy business. I think that that's very important. So um, we, we speak with our accountants and bookkeepers weekly um, about how we're performing, um, how our cash flow is looking, um, but really they're doing the bulk of the work when it, when it comes to you know, our, our finance and accounting. Um, well, real finance, which is um, much more than accounting, which is you know, buying and selling companies or you know, raising debt for a business or taking a, a business uh, public. Um, that doesn't really happen uh, very much at all with hospitality businesses and, and nightclubs. It might happen with um, you know a large scale publicly traded casino company or hotel company. Um, they would be dealing with a lot of uh, finance issues and investment bankers and whatnot. But for small, you know, relatively small standalone businesses um, such as that we have, um, you're really not doing any you know, hardcore finance. I, I, I learned a lot more about finance um, working you know, on Wall Street and then um, in my finance classes at Harvard Business School than I'll ever have to employ, I think, uh, in, my, in my current capacity. Gotcha. Okay. Good. Um, is the Huxley profitable? And if so, it, when did it, it become? It is, it is profitable. Yeah. Yes, we've been profitable uh, basically since the day we opened. Wow. That's fantastic. Doesn't often happen that way. <laughs> no, we are, we are lucky that way. I mean, most businesses fail, I think, in general. Um, no matter what industry you're in, um, there's usually only about a you know one in ten uh, success rate of um, 
of startup, startup businesses. businesses. So I feel fortunate that the Huxley has been one of those. Great. Great. So what are the most difficult parts of running a business in your mind? Uh, I, I think uh, the most difficult parts would be keeping your interest, uh, keeping the interests of your employees in line with the interests of um, management and ownership because um, you know, coming into businesses, you know, people do have different expectations and um, different uh, understandings of what's needed to make a business be successful, and they have different priorities. And so, um, uh, you know, we work very hard on being extremely professional in our dealings with our staff. Um, we work, you know, really hard on making sure our staff is paid well. Um, you know, I, I think my business partner and I, because it's the first time as owner operators. Um, we're very generous with our staff. Um, we, we put their, I think, you know, we put their financial well-being in a lot of ways and just their well-being overall, and we put that before ourselves um, because we want to try to build a, you know, a large company that a lot of different people from all different backgrounds want to work for. So um, I think we, we really do try to go above and beyond uh, the things we, we would be required to do for your staff normally. Um, I think that dealing with customers who you know, had a really bad day and they're you know, maybe, I don't want to say they got fired, but maybe a customer just, you know, they got yelled at by their boss or they work in sales and they're bringing the sales they wanted to and they just had a really cruddy day. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes um, when they go to hospitality venue, whether it's a bar, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a nightclub, they just want to, sometimes they want to feel important or really they might just want to be heard. And um, uh, sometimes that, Unfortunately, uh, it's communicated in a, in, a, in a poor way and in a negative way. And so there are customers sometimes who might just, you know, complain and you do everything you can to make them feel good and um, make, make the situation a positive one. But, you know, some people can just kind of come in with a bad attitude and, and you try to be as professional as you can with them. Um, but unfortunately, you can't, you can't please everyone. And that. And that's and that's difficult um, to deal with as an owner operator and a hospitality entrepreneur when you you got into this industry originally um, because you like pleasing people and you like making people happy. Um, and so when you find people that you can't make happy, um, that is that is definitely uh, a difficult thing to to swallow. Great, that's a great info. Um, so, are there rewarding the particular areas that are the most rewarding parts of running a business to you? For me personally, um, you know, I thought that the most rewarding part would be customers um, being really happy with the product you give them and just and providing. I talked earlier in the um, our call about um, you know wanting to provide happiness for others and and having liked that since I was younger. Um, that's one of the reasons I went into hospitality. But now, actually, as a business owner, I mean, I still do enjoy that, of course. But as a business owner, what I like the most is just making our staff happy. I love building a culture and providing a solid paycheck um, for our employees um, where they know they can uh, always depend on us uh, to come through. They can you know, d- depend on us to help pay their rents, to help um, provide you know, housing for their families, um, where it's, it's, a, it's a stable force in their lives. And then on top of that, you know, building a company culture. When I hear about staff members um, you know, living together or um, – going out uh, to socialize together or playing on softball teams together or doing charity work together. I mean, that just, 
makes me so happy and, and excited and ultimately fulfilled because, you know, this is, this is a culture we've created, you know, from a piece of paper on a business plan, and now it's actually uh, really happening. Um, our staff would never have met each other, would never have gotten close to each other if it wasn't for a business that my business partner and I created from scratch. And that, that for me, is the most um, rewarding thing about being a, an entrepreneur and being a business owner. That's right. Our, um, entrepreneurs are often under a lot of stress. Uh, how do you handle stress? I handle stress in a few different ways. Um, first and foremost, I make um, physical activity and working out um, almost daily, if not a daily um, part of my life. I, I try to work out six, seven days a week. Um, I do a lot of distance running. I do. I just started doing uh, yoga thanks to my girlfriend who is a, a big uh, yoga aficionado. Um, I do uh, cross-training types of workouts, hiking. Um, I've done some cycling, uh, rock climbing from time to time. I, I really try to get um, a big workout in each day. It really um, allows me to clear my head and and uh, recharge my batteries and makes me feel you know fantastic physically and I try to do it actually first thing in the morning because then you kind of feel that high from it all day long and then you know you start your day off in a very positive way and if you run into some if you have some bumps in the road that day um, at least you can go back to the fact that you know physically um, you feel great and um, and you and you had a, a positive thing happen to you um, in a day um, where you might not be able to control kind of anything else that happened to you. Yeah. Um, so uh, first and foremost, yes, I, I work out a lot. I, I try to eat well and healthy. Um, and I do believe in a kind of healthy body, healthy mind uh, type of outlook. Um, I also try to spend the limited free time that I do have, I try to spend it with uh, my family and close friends um, and just continuously try to be around your support system that you build up you know, throughout one's life. Um, and then third... Uh, I, I do try to spend time with other entrepreneurs. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is very difficult. It is stressful. There are ebbs and flows of it. And so when you can be around other entrepreneurs who have gone through the same struggles that you go through, um, it's kind of like your own um, you know, special fraternity where you can support each other and, and realize you're not just alone on an island um, dealing with um, you know, these stressors or these issues. So That's great. Any other advice you'd like to give our audience? About um, business? The, the, the two biggest piece of advice that I try to give um, aspiring entrepreneurs or just you know, young people in general who are trying to map out uh, their careers um, are, are one is to follow your passion. I think that you'll have the most fulfilled life if um, you don't worry about material, superficial things about such as what's the job where I can make the absolute most money? What's the job that looks really, really cool on paper or to my friends and my family. Um, but, you know, actually just pursuing um, a career that makes you the, the happiest and makes you the most fulfilled. That could be um, being a park ranger. That could be um, working in uh, nonprofits. That could be um, working in medicine. It could be working in uh, music. Um, there's all different things that, that make human beings feel fulfilled. The human beings are all wired very differently. And you need to figure out what makes you the happiest um, from a professional standpoint. And I think you need to go and pursue that, um, regardless of um, you know, the, the non, uh, 
you know, the not uh, the non-important things in life, such as materialism or um, you know superficiality. Um, number two, I you know I think you need to take risks as an entrepreneur. Um, you you can't sit back and think you're going to have a really comfortable life day in day out. There's going to be ebbs and flows. Every entrepreneur, whether you know they have gone you know bankrupt four different times and have absolutely no success, or they turn themselves into um, a billionaire ten times over, um, they have all experienced failure at some point, and they're probably going to experience failure more times. Uh, than once. So um, I, I think you do need to take risks. You need to um, not allow your failures to get you down uh, too far. You have to try to see the, the light in the tunnel. You have to you know, see um, your goal you have in mind and you have to keep that in front of you. Um, you can't be beaten down by other people's criticism and you just have to know that you, know, you, you have the best idea um, or best sense of, of what is the path you want to be on. And no one else can kind of dictate for you that, that for you. Um, you are your own master. You are your own CEO in life, and you need to you need to have the wherewithal to believe that what you think um, is ultimately best for you. So those would be those would be the two pieces of advice I would give. Great, great. That's wonderful. Well, uh, this has been terrific. Thank you so much, Ryan, for participating. And uh, as as you know. Uh, uh, wounded vets and family members who heard you talk at a recent presentation thought you were the cat's pajamas. So oh, <laughs> we nice. are happy to have uh, have you uh, on the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, very happy to be a part of this. Thank, thank you so, so much for your time. time. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right, take care.